to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being hum made human likeness, and being made in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Father, we gratefully acknowledge our unworthiness to, to be before you, not only in the partaking of the supper and not only unworthy in, in even coming in your presence to sing praise to you, Father, but, but also to be in your presence as we open up your ancient sacred word, Father, and ask that it speak to us. But we acknowledge, Father, our great thirst, our great yearning, our hunger, our need to be righteous, to be deepened in our understanding of your presence and of our relationship with you and of your will for our lives. And so we're thankful for that grace that makes it so. We're thankful for all of the ways that you make it so in our life. And we ask again in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you about two births, one very, very recent. On July 22nd, Prince George was born to the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge. He was born in the Lindo wing of St. Mary's Hospital there in central London. When his father went in to officially register this new prince, this new son, his firstborn, uh, with the government, he wrote down as his own profession... Prince of the United Kingdom. Now, the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge, as well as this young baby, Prince George, are going to move into Kensington Palace. They're having to wait a little bit because it's going through a $2 million renovation. Available at the same time as this palace is Anmer Hall, which is the Queen's 10-room house on her Sand Sandringham uh, estate. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Right after this baby was born, the Wall Street Journal did kind of a royal uh, family tree to show the line of succession to the throne of this nation. And this baby that was born just barely uh, a few weeks old is third in line to become king of England one day. Another kind of birth. A lady by the name of Sheila Nobles, November 23, 2010. She's from Orange, Texas. She and her mother and her aunt travel from Orange, Texas, all the way to Nebraska to spend Thanksgiving with family and friends. Once they get to North Platte, they pull over to the side of the road to a, a, a convenience store, the, uh, the Prairie Mart in North Platte. She is nine months pregnant. Doctor has given her permission to travel, so traveling she has done for, for many hours. She's not feeling very well. They go into the convenience store. She goes into the ladies' room. She's there for a while. Mother gets a little little nervous. 
there's trouble inside of that lady's room. She gets the manager to get a key to unlock the door to that, 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 uh, that bathroom there in that convenience store just in time to literally catch that baby as it's being born onto the floor of that lady's room. She is able to clear the passageway. The baby starts breathing on its own. They call the EMTs to come. They come. The baby is fine. But here's the thing. In one of these stories, a baby is born to live in a palace. A baby is born to be a king. In the other story, well, born in the ladies' room of a convenience store in Nebraska in the middle of nowhere. Now, according to conventional human wisdom, which of these children probably has the greater chance for success in this life? The answer is kind of obvious if we're thinking about it from conventional human wisdom, right? But here's the thing. You know, mom and dads do not want their kids to be born in a convenience store in the middle of nowhere, USA, in lowly conditions. But that is precisely how God chose for His own Son to be born. I mean, when you think about the Incarnation, the fact that God became flesh, the Incarnation is extraordinary even if Jesus Himself had been born in a royal family and recognized at His birth as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Creator of all things. But that's not how it happened. In fact, the very fact of Jesus' birth in lowliness is part of the miracle of His name Emmanuel, which means, say it, church, God with us. Now last week, as we were looking at Philippians chapter 2, we discovered some of the things it means for Jesus to be born as a human being, to be born into our likeness. He had to give up some of His divine prerogatives. He had to give up some of His divine privileges as He descended from heaven. But here's the thing about that descent. It did not stop just because He became a man. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, He, say the next word, church, humbled Himself. He humbled Himself. Well, we've all seen this cute A&T commercial about more is better and this, this guy talking to the kids, and more is always better, more is always better, more is greater. Well, Jesus humbling Himself tells us a lot about the kingdom view of, of more. It's, it's not just that Jesus came. It's how He came. Look at verse 7. Two phrases in verse 7. Very important. He made Himself, say it church, nothing. He made Himself nothing. He has everything. He has nothing but superlatives that are tied to Him in heaven. And He makes Himself nothing. And then it continues, He takes the very nature of a what? Servant. What episode do you think is in Paul's mind, or perhaps in Paul's mind, as he writes these words in Philippians chapter 2? It's probably John chapter 13, right? Here is Jesus towards the end of His earthly ministry, towards the end of His earthly life. He's with a bunch of disciples that along the way to Jerusalem have been arguing with each other over who is going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand, who is going to have the power, who's going to have the influence, who is going to be recognized by Jesus as the great one. And so what does Jesus do? He stands up as King of kings and Lord of lords and the creator of all things, their master, they're His disciples, and He strips down to, to, to a towel around His waist and He begins to wash feet. Now, washing feet 
in the first century is like washing the floor of a bathroom in a convenience store in North Platte, Nebraska. Hey, roads were disgusting back then. And you would walk and you would walk through puddles and you'd walk through dirt and you'd walk through mud. And then when you sat down to eat, you really weren't sitting down. You were laying next to each other and those feet were all over the place. And, and there is no record in all of antiquity that there was ever a superior that would wash the feet of the inferiors. In fact, so, so disdainful and so, and so hateful and so ugly and terrible was this job, so demeaning was it, that you really couldn't even ask your servant to do it, but really only the lowliest of your servants, the one that really had no, no clout whatsoever. I mean, he was bottom of the totem pole when it came to the servants. That was the guy that did this. And yet here is Jesus, who is the greatest, the kindest, the purest, the most holiest creature, and He does it. Why did He do it? Why did He do it? He gives a reason for it in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what, church? To, to, to serve others. And to serve even in the most extreme way by giving His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the example of how to live life. And that life is to exude humility, living a humble life, being humble, not being afraid to serve, not being afraid to reach out in service to other people. Now, if we're to follow the descent of Jesus into humility as His disciples we are called to do, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, those who say that they are in Him, the Apostle John writes, must walk as Jesus walked. We walk in His steps. We are in a descent. Our trajectory is not up but down as His was. Now, if we're going to follow His descent, one of the things as disciples we have to proactively do every day is to choose humility. Get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be humble. I choose a humble life. I choose to be a humble man. I choose to be a humble woman. I choose to be humble in my relationship with my spouse or with my family or with my colleagues or with my boss. If you're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, which is kind of a hard thing to do these last couple of years, but you'll recognize the name of Chan Gailey. Back in, in 2004, he's, teaching, or he's, he's speaking at a dinner in Dalton, Georgia, and he starts talking about his coaching career beginning at a place called Troy State, which is where? Alabama. 1984, starts coaching there. They're 12-1. and one. They're going to the NCAA Division II Championship. He is really busy getting ready for that game. He's going out to the, uh, to the practice field, and his secretary says, Chan, Coach Gailey, you got a phone call. Well, he's kind of in a snarly mood. He says, you know, take a message. I've got things to do. I've got practice to run. I've got film to look at. I've got defenses and offenses to break down. Secretary says, but wait, Coach, Sports Illustrated. Well, he knows he's going to the Division II championship, and he's beginning to think to himself, Sports Illustrated has finally heard of Troy State, and they want to do a, a, a story on us. And so he turns around and starts heading back to his office. And on the way he's thinking, you know, maybe not just a three-page story, but maybe a pretty big spread in Sports Illustrated, number one sports magazine in the world. And maybe they want a couple of pictures. And I need to decide what am I going to wear when, uh, when I get my picture made. And as he goes into his office, he picks up the phone and says, Hello, voice on the other side, is this Chan Gailey? He goes, Yes, it is. And the voice on the other line says, This is Sports Illustrated. And we've discovered that... Uh, 
your subscription is running out, and are you interested in renewing? You know, nobody can humble you like yourself, right? You know, I, you know, you can humble me, and I can humble you, but nobody can humble God. Only God can humble Himself. And that's what He chooses. Christians are to adopt a humble way of being because that's the trajectory of Jesus' life. Psalm 18, you save the what? You save the, you save the what, church? Humble, right. But bring low those whose, whose eyes are haughty. Psalm 25, verse 9, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Psalm 147, and verse 6, The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Psalm 149, and verse 4, For the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with what? With victory. We go over to the New Testament. There's a lot written about humility. I love this, this passage from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you do what? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You know, there's a lot of intentionality for a lot of us when it comes to putting on our clothes. We think about what we're going to put on that day and what it's going to say about ourselves, what we're going to be comfortable in. And, and so there's a lot of intentionality with it. And we're, we know how important it is that we clothe ourselves with something that's going to make a good impression or the right kind of impression. And then there are those of us, and I kind of fall into this group, I could care less as long as I'm covered up. That's all that matters. And there's not a whole lot of intentionality about it. And you go down your, through your day and somebody says, hey, you missed a button right there. And you go, oh, hey, thanks a lot. And you keep going and, hey, you forgot to come. And there's no intentionality whatsoever. There's no thought whatsoever and both of those are so important to consider when it comes to humility there are some of us that never even think about humility and we ought to we ought to be thinking about how to clothe ourselves in humility to be the kind of individual humble individual that jesus was as he was ministering to all of us as the king of kings and lord of lords not being served but serving others even to the point that his life is given as a ransom for many and there are those of us that, 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 that really think a lot about what we clothe ourselves with and we need to make sure that we are not improperly dressed before the Holy Spirit of God. And that is to make sure that as a part of our wardrobe, every day, the wardrobe of our heart, how we're clothing our soul, is to make sure that humility is a part of that. You know, the bottom line, folks, is that the world praises humility. Oh, what a humble man. What a, but the, wor the world may praise humility to the high heaven, but very rarely practices it. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in what? In humility. Not just thinking about yourself in, in, in humble ways, but in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Man, that is a challenge for a lifetime, is it not? I mean, what kind of church would we be if we counted other people more important than ourselves? What kind of, of fellowship and what kind of youth group and what kind of senior adult group and what kind of worship would we have if we counted other people as better than ourselves? 
you know, when it comes to approaching things, you know, there's a wrong way and a right way. I mean, think about the, the, the way you approach at the end of the day how you're going home. I mean, I could go home at the end of a long day, wonder if Ellen has supper on the table, wonder not only if she has supper on the table, but if she's fixed something that I want to eat. Because there's some stuff that, quite frankly, she makes that I don't want to eat. Now, she's not here right now. She's up in Lubbock <laughs> at her mom and dad's place, checking on her dad. Jesse's up there with her. So that thing about, that I just told you stays between us, all right? <laughs> is she going to make me some food? Is she going to make me the thing I want to eat? Or is she going to be home watching the Beverly Hillbillies? Or there's a right way that I could do it according to Philippians 2, verse 3, and that is, you know, I bet Ellen had a long day too. In fact, I know she did. I know she did. I should probably call and see if she wants me to cook tonight or maybe I should drop by Bill Miller's and pick something up on the way home. And maybe what she needs is for me to rub her feet while she's watching Beverly Hillbillies on TV. A right way and a wrong way, right? How about church? I hope there's a parking space in that parking lot close to the front door because I hate walking across that parking lot. And I hope they're singing the songs that I like. And I'm telling you right now, nobody better be sitting in my pew. And that preacher may, better not be stepping on very many of my toes this morning or I'm going to tell him. Or there's another way, according to Philippians 2 and verse 3. I wonder when I go to church this morning, if God's going to show me somebody to bless. If, if, if God is going to show me clearly somebody that I can pour my life into and to serve and to encourage and to bless. And I'm looking forward to not just singing praise, but singing with the church. And I'm looking forward to opening up the ancient, sacred Word of God and pouring my, my mind and my intellect into those sacred words and praying that God will give me eyes to see and ears to hear so that I'm transformed. There's a right way and a wrong way. You know as well as I do that most church problems come from Christians that are not looking to the interests of others, but they're looking to their, their own interests. You know, there's this crazy little vision in Isaiah chapter 11, and it's about this little kid, this child that's going to come, and he's going to change everything. And Isaiah is using this, this, this great language. It's especially beautiful in the King James. But basically what he's saying is that creatures that by their nature should be enemies with one another are not enemies with one another. They cease to be enemies with each other. And these creatures that by their very nature should be slaughtering one another cease to do so. He says the wolf is going to live with the lamb. And the leopard's going to lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. You drop down to verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That's the vision. And this is the kind of world that is created when people are saturated with the knowledge of the Lord and have decided that they're going to follow the Lord's trajectory and to be humble people. Well, there's a second thing, and we'll close right here. Disciples choose hope. There's all kinds of, 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 of reasons for us to be humble with each other and humble especially in the presence of God. I mean, we think about the cross and we think about 
all of the things that are hurled at Jesus that just he wipes from his face and they fall to the ground, but he doesn't retaliate. But through grace and through unbelievable love and mercy and compassion still reaches out for us. Should humble us. But we also, when we, th- when we think about our future, I mean, aren't we not filled with such great hope? The, the hope that, that, that we have in the future should transform us. I mean, humility now in this life confesses hope in the future. I mean, you think about all of the things that God has created that are going to be beautiful and the things that He has created for our enjoyment and the way that it's going to be in His presence where we see Him face to face where there's not even a hint of that leukemia, where there's not even a a, a whiff of that evil or that sin. And that is what God has prepared for us. I mean, what kind of life do you want to live that's worthy of that kind of love and that kind of blessing? I've told you this before. You know, when I think about the love that my wife has for me, I mean, there are a lot of things that I can do and I know she is never going to give up on me, that she's never going to forsake me, she's never going to leave me, regardless of what I do. So my choice is this. Do I live a life that is just sort of, it's just a reprobate kind of a life? It takes poor advantage of that kind of love. It takes poor advantage of that kind of relationship and that kind of of, of love that is being poured out on me and I just do whatever I want to do, knowing I'm never going to give up. Or do I try to live a life that's worthy of that? Try to live a life that is so transformed by that kind of love and that kind of tenderness and kindness and faithfulness to me that I just... It makes me want to be like that too. The reason that we can all come together, the reason that we can all sing, the reason that we have a hope of heaven, the reason that everything is different and we don't drop down into the fetal position when trouble comes our way, but there's a poise and a buoyancy that we have in all of life, regardless of how stormy those seas might be, began with the word hope. In a future that was forged out of Christ's humility. To become like us. And the descent didn't stop there. He became like us, like us and then humbled Himself, taking on the form of a servant, and didn't stop there all the way to the cross so that your sins and my sins could be placed on Him. And that we might have that hope of eternal life, the anticipation of it. It just humbles me when I think about what God has given me that I could never get on my own, but He does it because He loves me. A story that's told about this professor that walks into a classroom and she's holding up this glass of water and all of the students, they know what she's going to ask. They're going to ask she's going to ask them, is it half full or half empty? Well, she doesn't ask that. Instead, she smiles at them and she asks, how heavy is the glass of water? Well, they begin to shout out all kinds of answers. It's 8 ounces, it's 20 ounces, it's 16 ounces. She replies that the weight does not matter at all. What only matters is how long you hold it. She says, if you hold it one minute, there's no problem. But if you hold out that cup, that glass of water, for one hour, your arm begins to ache. And if you try to hold that glass of water all day, your arm is going to become numb and it's going to be paralyzed. And in each of those cases, the weight of the water did not change, did it? The only thing that was different was the amount of time that we insisted on holding that glass of water. The same thing with our sin. 
you know, you hold on to that sin, you hold on to that sin, you hold on to that sin, and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier until you feel like you're bent over and bent down and crippled and paralyzed in some parts of your life because of the weight of that sin. When all Jesus is asking is for you to let it go and let it come onto Him and His death, cover it up, and that you, by His, His blood, His sacrifice, His body being sacrificed, find yourself being released from all of that. And you have this beautiful future in front of you that is God and Christ and the Spirit and the forgiveness of sin and the, the cleanness of a guilty conscience and all of the resources that you need to be able to live this life in such a way that you are blessed. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now and what we invite you to do is to let go of that cup of water. To let it go. Let go of your sin and, and let Jesus carry it for you in such a way that you're not crippled, in such a way that you're not beat down by the burden of it, but you're actually able to stand up straight and to live life the way that it is meant to be lived. And if that describes you in any way this morning, we want you to come down this aisle and to name Jesus as your Lord and to be baptized and your sins washed away and to be filled with the Spirit. That's a gift from God to you and to live out the rest of your days as a blessing and being blessed. If that describes you this morning, come down and talk to our shepherds and let them know your need as we stand and sing together. In loving kindness.